0: Hi, I'm Philip Santillan, pastor of Clarity Church, and I want to thank you for taking the time to listen or view this podcast of a message from one of our Sunday gatherings. Before we get going here, I just wanted to communicate to you the deep conviction we have regarding this message. This free message resource is not intended as a broadcast ministry, which would create virtual attenders listening from home rather than getting involved in their local church. We hope that no matter where you are on your faith's journey, that this podcast is only supplemental to your relationship with the Lord and in no way replaces the local church that you should be plugged into or the pastor God has put over your life to lead you and care for your soul. So please enjoy this incomplete portion of this past week's gathering. We have prayed that God would use it in a profound way in your life and that from it you would gain clarity on who Christ is. Morning. How about that advice? Pick a dead end and chill out till you die. Let's pray. Jesus, (laughs) stay. Hey, uh, if this is your first time with us, uh, my name is Phil, and I get the wonderful opportunity to uh, be the lead pastor of this wonderful, wonderful group of people who call themselves Clarity Church. And I just want to welcome you to one of our gatherings where. For those of us who do call ourselves clarity work really, really hard so that all of us could hopefully sit in some rows and find some clarity on who Christ is. Now, it is the new year. Anyone excited about that? Anyone excited about that? Anyone making any new year's resolutions at all? No, no. no. A new year resolution. if you're not ashamed just to shout it out, what's a new year's resolution you made? Work out! Work out. That's everyone's. Like yeah, OK. any other ones? any other good ones? Take a shower. Okay, let's stop there. Let's continue on. Wow. Hey, uh, in the beginning of 2010, uh, I was a 28-year-old man uh, going to turn 29 soon, and I had a blog. Anyone know what that is? A blog? I think some people have, and that's kind of what everyone in their 20s has, has a blog. Then they hit their 30s, and they get too busy, and they stop writing unless they've made money on it then. Uh, but I had this blog, and in the, the spirit of kind of New Year, I thought I'd read a blog post from that year. Uh, it was a New Year's blog post called The Anti-Resolutions. Some of you are like, hmm, let me hear about this. And, and here's, I, if, if you don't care, oh well, I've got the mic, and so here, I'm just going to read it to you. I think it's interesting at least. Uh, It says this, I understand why people make New Year's resolutions. I just don't do it. (laughs) Pretty cynical. Um, New Year's resolutions have been responsible for making me look like a hypocrite year after year. Correction, I make me look like a hypocrite year after year. Regardless of my reasons, I was inspired by my friends Nick and Rachel to make some goals for 2010, I like the sound of that. Goals are meant to be attained, and resolutions just seem like a self promise that somehow ends up being more of a burden than an encouragement. And I know this isn't the case for everyone, but then again, this isn't everyone's blog. This is mine. Man, that same nasty attitude was even in my blog. Oh, anyways, so here are some goals that I'm setting for myself. This is 28 year old me. Okay, uh, read two books a month. Review one book a month on my blog that everybody reads. Uh, start a new Bible reading plan. Meet with a mentor at least once a month. More than losing weight, get healthy. I'm proud to say that since 2010, I have remained the same. <laughs> uh, and then here's the last one. Uh, you might not believe this or not, but it's it's on the blog. It's on there. Uh, go ice fishing. And hunting for the first time. <laughs> okay, I didn't grow up in Minnesota, okay? Now, out of complete transparency, I wrote a blog post the following year where I basically said, yeah, I pretty much failed <laughs> at, every, at every goal. And, and here's what I had written at the end of that post, and I, I just think it was interesting. I, and it says this, I, I didn't go ice fishing or hunting. I made a list of all the things I didn't do, and then I got to the ice fishing and hunting thing. Uh, and so I said this, I did not go ice fishing or hunting. Probably a good thing. But I'd still like to go. In fact, I had some really good conversation with the guys in my connect group. Uh, It was a small group, uh, a church I was part of, a small group of people that we kind of tried to live life together and learn to to love Jesus better together. And I said, uh, uh, I I I had some really good conversation with the guys in my connect group about ice fishing and hunting, despite the fact that I was the only one who hadn't done either. The fact is that I failed on that goal, but my interest in it has really helped me connect in relationship with other guys who not only love fishing and hunting, but love God and others. Sure, I I look at the fact that I didn't make it with some of my goals and see how it may look like a failure. But to me, the journey is as much of the measure of success as the goal. So here's some more anti-resolutions. A year older and a year, parentheses, hopefully wiser. And these are my goals for this year as I approach living life for the first time in my 30s. My 30th birthday is this month. And so at the end of that post, I asked all of the three people at that time, my mom, a friend of mine, and then some creeper who always seemed to always want to post stuff. And I had to block them eventually. So I asked the three people who read my blog these questions at the end of it. And I said, what are your goals for 2011? And if you don't do goals or resolutions, then then what are the life paths you have determined to take to reach the destinations you want or you feel God calling you towards? Now, I read those posts simply because this. uh, This series that we are embarking on today as we start this new series called New Year, New You is simply about helping us ask and answer the question, really this question, what is the vision that you are carrying with your life? Now, some of you might not call it a vision, but each of us has a picture of where we feel we should be in the future regarding our faith, regarding our relationships, regarding our finances, regarding our career, or whatever. In fact, some of you, some of you, even as I'm talking, you you have a picture of maybe even just one thing, that if you were to pursue it and maybe even somehow accomplish it your life would be in a completely different place than it is now some of you know right now as i'm talking and 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 to this this series is about helping you capture that and then thinking about that and then hopefully attaining it now listen the interesting thing about this subject is that It's not going to be new information. As we talk about this idea of a vision for your life, a purpose, or however you want to call it, this isn't really anything new. In fact, the vision for you is something that you've already thought of. Or it's that one thing that someone has suggested for you that you knew. Like when they said, hey, you should probably, and and inside of you, you know, outwardly you're like, no. But inside of you, you're like, "Mm, I, I I should probably do that. Or it may be something you even tried before. But for some reason, as you tried it, you maybe lost focus or you lost track or you got distracted. Squirrel, right? That's my, that's my thing. And, and you didn't pursue that vision. But here's the good news. It's a new year, right? It's a new year. And whether you are a person who does New Year's resolutions or not, Here's the good news. Today, you can pursue a vision for your life. And here's my hope for this series. I'm just gonna let you kind of know just in case you can't make all of the series. And here's my hope as over these next three weeks. I hope that one, that you find clarity on the vision that God has for you. Uh, and then next week, I, I, we're gonna talk about this second thing, which is this, that I want you to find focus and I, I wanna find focus and hopefully you do too so, so you can establish a game plan, not a blueprint, by the way. And we'll talk about what's the difference between having a game plan versus a blueprint. We'll talk about that next week. And we want to find a game plan for how you can accomplish the vision that you feel is, you know, for those of us who follow Christ, it's, it's much more deeper than just a vision. It's, it's more of this idea of a God-sized vision, a God-infused vision. And then the last week, we're going to talk about um, how, how you can find courage to enter into the journey that's, that pursuing a God-inspired vision places you in. So that's kind of the, the hope, and if that doesn't sound exciting to you, we have a new series coming uh, uh, right after that. You can come back, and, but I hope you stay, and I hope you stay, because listen, there is something, whether you believe in God or not, and this is, I believe this with all my heart, there is something this year. There's one thing. There's something that God wants to do in you and through you, and, and not to give it all away, but really that the idea isn't that God is con, isn't concerned about what he's going to accomplish through you as much as he's going to accomplish in you, right? And it's less about what you accomplish, and really it's more about who you become on the way to pursuing God's vision and I just want to be clear about that because I don't want this to be a sound like a self-help talk because God is more concerned about who you're becoming than what you're actually trying to accomplish and just just so you know that um but listen today I want to talk about finding clarity on the vision that God has for you now I I don't have ESP I, I can't read your minds I don't know what the vision is for your life so don't come up to after 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 the gathering and go, Okay, I'm convinced. I want a vision. Tell me what that vision is. Oh, wise one. And, and uh, I'm just not going to have it. I just don't know that. But personal vision is different for all of us because it's personal. For some of you, if you were to think about it right now, it might be you have a vision for a habit you need to break. Right? There's this habit you need to break, and, and nobody needs to tell you what it is in fact, if you could push a magic button right now that would take you to 12 months from now where you know that if working towards breaking that habit would meet its completion, if you could push that right now and go to a place where you're, you're, that, that habit of yours would no longer rule your life, you would push it in a heartbeat. Why? Because you know your life would be in such a different place. And this new year for you could be a new you. And you may not call it this, but that's a vision. And it's a vision of a new you. Maybe, maybe it's a relationship that you need to restore or relationships that you need to restore. Maybe, maybe you're in a place where things are not going good relationally maybe in, it, with your friendships or things aren't going re, re, well relationally with your spouse or, or maybe with their family member or with your kids or with a coworker. And listen, if you were given the opportunity to push a magic button that would transport yourself into 12 months from now, and you knew that 12 months from now you could bring restoration to a relationship that took way longer than a year to bring dysfunction into, if you could push that Button, you would push that button, wouldn't you? You'd push that button because you knew, you know, that your relationships would be better, your life would be better, and you would push it because you know right now that there is a relationship that needs to be restored. Or maybe, maybe for some of you, it's a, it's a little simpler. It's maybe it's a goal that needs to be accomplished, or, or maybe it's a debt, like a debt you need to retire. And, and maybe if it's, just example, like it's a debt. And for you, um, over time, you, you hear about debt. Maybe you, you attend one of our gatherings and we talk about being a good steward and, and you're like, yeah, 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 I know, I know, I know. I or, know Or you hear about Dave Ramsey and you're like, I know, I know, I know, live like no one else. I okay? can live like no one else, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Or you watch the commercials and you hear commercials about debt consolidation. And you're like, yeah, 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 I know, I know, I know, I know. But for some reason, for some reason, you just get stuck. And then in the end, you don't do anything. But listen, your life and your future and even your relationships with the people that you love the most, you know it would be different if you were just to focus this year on getting rid of some of the dumb debt that you've been carrying around. And if you had a magic button, right, where you could bring 12 months to here now where... Between here and 12 months, you could significantly reduce or totally get away rid of your debt. You would push it now. Why? Because you know it would change your life, right? Now, if you're not someone who looks to Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, or maybe you just have some doubts about the Bible and who Jesus is— I don't want you to check out just because we're talking about finding your God-inspired vision. I know for some people, even, even those who are Christians, let's just, not, let's just be honest. When you hear another talk about like God-inspired vision, you're like, oh, okay. You know, I'd like, you know, come on, just give me something meatier. Or give me something. I don't need this God. Look, I don't want you to check out. Because the interesting thing about this whole topic of vision is that it really isn't a church thing. And let me make my case. It's, it's really just an is thing. Now, just because I believe that the principles for finding and moving towards personal vision are principles that have been established by God and are written about in the scriptures that were inspired by God doesn't mean that what we're talking about can't help you find clarity regarding your personal vision so you can begin to find focus and move towards a new year and a new you with courage this year. Now, if you're a follower of Christ and you believe in Christ as your Lord and Savior, perhaps by the end of this series, (laughs) you'll engage in a new kind of life that moves you towards the new kind of you, listen, that God already wants you to become. For some of you, when I talk about personal vision, you have no clue I don't know if some of you, some of you are like, yeah, I got it. I know what it is. But some of you you're like, okay, this is great, but I have no clue what this is. And so before we talk about how you can find clarity on vision, I want to offer some suggestions on how you can find a vision for your life. Now, the best example of this that I know of is actually for, uh, from, from a passage of scripture that we call the Old Testament. And, um, what I want to do is I'm going to take you to the book of Nehemiah, all right? And uh, for those of you who have a Bible, you want to open up there, and we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 1. And, and what I want to do, what I want to do is I want to lead you in this story, and, and, and I want to lead you in the story of Nehemiah and hopefully give us all something to learn from the simple truths found here. And my heart's desire and my prayer is that, is that this simple passage will hopefully connect with or connect you to a vision for your life that as a result, God will do something incredible in your life. And then six months from now, a year from now, you would look back and say, wow, look what God has done as a result of me finding clarity, focus, and courage around the vision for my life that He placed in front of me. Doesn't that sound like good news? So let's start. Nehemiah one one says this: In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the in the twelfth year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Now, unless you're a history buff. That means absolutely nothing. But in, just in case you know history, for those of you who've studied ancient history, you already know that Artaxerxes was the great king of Persia, right? And some of you are like, oh, i seen a movie about the king of Persia. All right, you're tracking with me now. You get the time period. And, you, and this would really put us around, f- about four, f- this story of Nehemiah really starts around 445 BC, 445 years before the birth of Christ. Now, if you skip down to the end of this chapter, here's what we learn about Nehemiah. That he was the king's, what? Cup bearer, right? So in other words, he, his whole job was to drink wine. Some of you are like, sign me up for that. <laughs> but you have to understand, he was testing the wine to make sure that no one was trying to poison him. So there was this chance that you could die. And I know some of you are like, sign me up for that. Anyways, um, but that was his only job. But... Truth be told, and as you read the rest of Nehemiah, we're not going to read all of Nehemiah. And and I encourage you just to read it. It's a great story. And Nehemiah writes it in the first person. So it's really different than kind of some of the other uh, um, uh, books of the Bible, especially in the New Testament. Uh, This is written in the first person. So it kind of almost reads like a story. So it's really engaging. And I encourage you to read it. But what you'll find out is that Nehemiah was much more than just a cupbearer. Nehemiah was also a friend of the king, as we'll find out in the next chapter. And he was also an official. And he was Jewish. And so that's kind of the setup of where we're at. And so here, let's continue to go on. Verse two to three, it says, Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. And they said to me, Things are not going well for those who return to the providence of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been turned down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Now, this is what Nehemiah's brothers tell him. And and we don't know really if Nehemiah, who is an Israelite, had ever been to Israel but it would seem as though he had never been because we know from history that over a hundred years before this part that we're reading, the Babylonians, the Babylonians led by a, na- a man named Nebuchadnezzar, anyone ever heard of that name? Maybe you grew up in church You know that, Nebuchadnezzar, um, he came and he conquered Israel. And then when he conquered Israel, he, dist- he, he completely destroyed the temple and he completely destroyed its walls. Now, he also carted off some famous Bible characters that some of you might know. Um, some real hefty firemen named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Some of you remember that, those guys. And then, and then some of you even remember a guy named Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den. So some of you remember that. But so that happened over 100 years ago and here's Nehemiah. And so here we are 100 years after your initial ransacking of Jerusalem and Nehemiah is about to come in contact with a God-sized vision. And here's how. It says here in verse four. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. If you're looking for clarity on your vision, here's what you need to understand. When it comes to vision, God will often break your heart before he moves your feet. If you're trying to figure out where or how you can find a vision for your life, or if you want to know whether or not what you have is just a vision or a goal, the question to ask yourself is, has God broken your heart before he's motivated your feet? It's one thing to have a goal. It's another thing to have a vision. And receiving a vision isn't defined simply by what you can think of. All right? I have a four-year-old who can think of a lot of different things to do. Like, I don't know, wearing shorts and t-shirts in the middle of winter. I, I, but I'm not saying that's a good vision for your life in the middle of winter, right? And so you can think of a lot of things, but but it has no chance of really becoming real. You can think, you know, she wants to have a pony and and she wants to, you know, have wings that fly and be a princess and that it's just not gonna happen. I mean, she's always my princess, I tell her that, but it's just not gonna happen. And being a person with a God-sized vision for your life will always have something to do with what you can bring to life because there are ruins in your life if you would just take... The time to recognize them. And God is the creator not because he imagined or he envisioned creation. Right? God is the creator because he did what? In the beginning, God what? He, what did he do? He, he did something. He created. He didn't just go, hmm, I'm God and I have a great idea. <laughs> right? Right? And all of a sudden, he turned into Jack Black. Um, but God didn't just envision something. He, he created. He acted. And guess what he did? He spoke in what? Boom! Everything came to existence. And some of you just woke up. Welcome back to the message. <laughs> I th- now, if that's true about God, listen to this. What would be any different for the creation that was made in his image. I think one pastor said it best when he wrote this, and I have it on the screen just so you could read it with me. Visions are born in the soul of a man or woman who is consumed with the tension between what is and could be. Anyone who is emotionally involved, frustrated, brokenhearted, maybe even angry about the way things are in light of the way they believe things could be is a candidate, candidate for vision. Visions form in the hearts of those who are dissatisfied with the status quo. If you want to find your vision, pray for a burden. Don't just pray for a purpose. Pray for a burden. So once you've prayed for the burden, baby... Maybe you're feeling that this is something in your life is now becoming a vision. Well, how do you know that it's a vision? Well, let's just continue to look at the story. Verse five, Nehemiah says this, then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down. And see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands... And live by them. Then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. And I don't even have enough time to talk about how this is a foreshadowing of Jesus who is the true and better bringer backer Us who have lived and are deep in our sin and we have gone far away from God, but yet he has brought us back to him. And anyway, we don't have time to go there. And and it says this in verse 10. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please, please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it in his heart to be kind to me, and for the sake of time, if you take a look at the next chapter, you will see that Nehemiah takes a huge risk. he takes a huge risk, and he approaches the king uh, you know with, with, with really uh, this this overwhelming look of burden so much so that you know, know, he was hired to be the king's, you know, servant. Hey, king, king. And even the king noticed that something was wrong. And the king said to him like, Nehemiah, what's wrong with you? Why do you look so sad? And, and Nehemiah spoke up and he had been praying because he knew that God had placed him in a position to actually possibly have an ability to bring reconciliation to a vision that God had brought into his life. And so he spoke and he said, king, would you allow me? I just got this news of my people, the Israelites and our, our homeland is totally ransacked and people have gone back there and, and let me just tell you, there's no walls, the gates have been burned down and there are these and we'll, you'll find out in the rest of the story, and there are kind of these ruffians all through the land and, and because we have no walls there and, and, and no gates there, they just kind of come in and take what they please and they abuse us and they bully us and, and my heart is just breaking for our people who have now moved back there and come on, King, you let us move kind of back there, and, and but they have nothing to protect them, would you let me, would you let me have a burden for this would you let me that's why I feel so sad would you let me would you let me go and help rebuild these walls and and what you find here is that Nehemiah realizes that he not only has a burden but he 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 realizes that God has given him an opportunity to actually fulfill this vision and why because your God-sized vision will often be an extension of your sphere of influence God's side vision happens when God shows you a reality of the ruins in your sphere of influence that you have the ability to bring restoration to and places a passion in your heart to meet that need. And Nehemiah saw a need to rebuild the wall. And probably so did many other Israelites who had seen the wall or have known about the wall for over 100 years. But Nehemiah was not just a man with a complaint or who saw something that needed to be fixed. There is a difference here. Vision was given to him because he was a man with the burden who recognized his unique position to pursue vision. I like what one Bible commentator had to say regarding this passage of scripture when he said this. He said this, you will never build the walls of your life until you have first become greatly concerned about the ruins. Have you ever taken a good look at the ruins of your own life? Have you ever stopped long enough to assess what you could be under God and compare that with what you are? Have you looked at the possibilities that God gave you in your life and seen how far you've deviated from that potential? Like Nehemiah, you have received word in some form or another of the desolation and ruin there, and when Nehemiah hears this report about Jerusalem, he weeps and prays for days, showing his intense concern. And then here's the, the part that I really want to leave us with is this: You will never rebuild the walls of your life until you first weep over the ruins. So Vision, finding clarity on it. What does this look like in real life? For some of you, it's, it's more than a debt. A vision is more than getting out of debt. It's realizing that your life is in such ruins financially that you can't even be a good steward, even less. A person who you can consider is a generous person. It's more than spending time with family. It's more than a vision of being with your family more. It's realizing that you can't raise kids who love God in this crazy world if you're not proactively around to show them what that looks like. It's more than kicking a bad habit. It's realizing that your life is in ruins because you've allowed an addiction to control areas of your life that God should be in control of anyways. It's more than a goal. It's a vision. And God puts a burden in your life for something that you can actually do something about because it's in your sphere of influence. Does that make sense? And so what do you do once you've found that vision? Well, like Nehemiah, you need to get really clear about that vision that God has placed in your life. Nehemiah said this, I need to rebuild the wall. Right? I need to rebuild the wall. And until you are clear, you won't have something to shoot for. In fact, an interesting passage in the Old Testament, again, it follows the life of a, another prophet named Habakkuk and, and and he's listening to the Lord and he's asking, God, speak to me so I can speak to this tribe of Judah uh, that's th- this remnant of Judah that still kind of remains. And, and this was a little bit, this was actually right before Jerusalem got ransacked. And so uh, the northern kingdom already got ransacked and the southern kingdom was still kind of, everyone was still kind of scattered if you know the history behind it. And so uh, Habakkuk is saying, I, I, I need to speak something to your people. Would you tell me something? Would you tell me something? And then, and right before God tells him something, he, he gives him this this kind of charge, and he says this in Habakkuk two 2.2. He says this, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets. And I love this part. So he may run who reads it. He may run who reads it. And, and literally, in the, in the idea of, of, of what this was, it was kind of like this big table. And, and you would inscribe it. And the idea was that he would write a vision big enough and succinct enough that people who were passing by would get it on its first pass. And this same principle applies to vision, and I want to encourage us all in this, and this is the kind of maybe the homework I want to give you. If you want clarity on your god side vision, you need to make it so you can see it, and people can run with it. So you've got to write it down. You have to write it down, and then you have to talk about it, so that other people, and so that, well, so you can know if it's clear enough so that people will go, yeah, that's a good idea. And so I want you to write your vision down this week. And I want to make, I want you to make it clear so others can get it. Does it make sense? Now, I, I'm trying to think of ways to, to maybe bring this story to life. And I was talking with Leona and she said, you know, we should probably, t- you should probably tell them about that, that one time that we moved from Florida to Minnesota right? And this time of the year, everyone's going, that must have been a God vision for your life (laughs) because you see the weather outside. Um, But listen, it was uh, 2008. Was it 2008? 2008 was 2008. And I was a youth pastor in Florida. And uh, take a long story short, there was definitely some ruins in our life. And, but we couldn't quite, we couldn't quite figure out how to make a vision out of that. And uh, we, were, we were given some really, really good advice by uh, a mentor who said, you know, Phil, because we were asking this question, what does God want us to do? What does God, has anyone ever asked that question? God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Right? And, and I think everyone asked that question, even if you're not a Christian, you're like, what in, in God am I supposed to be doing with my life? Right? And, and, that's, and, and everyone asked that question and everyone usually somehow appeals to God. <laughs> I think that, that speaks to more of how God's created us. But he gave this advice. He said, you know, oftentimes when you don't know what God wants you to do, why don't you figure out what you already know God wants you to do and then look at your life and figure out whether or not you're moving in that direction or not. And so here's the coolest thing that we did is our brother-in-law, uh, we, 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 t- we told him about what this, what this um, one mentor had said and he's, he, he was really, yeah, that, that, that's really, that sounds like really good advice. And, and he, he, was able, he travels a lot and so he gave us points. So we got a babysitter and we went to this hotel and then we sat in the hotel with a pad of paper, a Bible, and just us. And we started writing down things in the scripture that we knew that were for us, things like, you know, go into all the, world. like, we, we just made some, like, real practice, like, what are some things that we know God wants us to do? We started writing it down, we started writing it down, and then here's what we did, we began to condense that, we had this paper and paper, and then we condensed it to, like, eight different things, and then it was funny, because as we began to condense that list and list, we, we noticed, here's what we noticed, God was building a vision for us, And we wrote that down. And when we wrote that down, we were able to, and for a while it was on my blog. It might still be, I'm not sure. I don't even know where the blog's at. But um, we, we we put up and we looked at it and we said, okay, here's what we know God wants us to do. And so what we're gonna do now is we're gonna look at all of our life's choices and ask whether or not it helps us or hinders us toward pursuing the life that God wants for us. That we know. And guess what? We were presented with some opportunities and one of those opportunities was moving here to Minnesota. And I can't tell you in hindsight the immense, immense sovereignty that God was enacting in his life simply because we chose to be clear about the vision he's placed in our life. Our life completely changed. I'm here with you Because of a God-sized vision. At that time, we didn't think of the ramifications of what that would mean. But listen, there is something this year that God wants to accomplish through you. And if you would just focus, find clarity, and get some courage, you would be amazed. Not at just what God does through, through you, but the change that God does in you. It's a new year, and it can be time for a new you if you let it be. We pray for you.